folks, Gavin Roth here with another episode of the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing, sponsored by Elevant, makers of sponsorship software that track, evaluate, and manage all requests for partnerships. Learn more at elevant.co. An important detour for this episode is I chat with three of the leaders in the sponsorship and sport marketing education space. Three people charged with inspiring the next gen of sponsorship and sports marketers. My guests are Sherry Bradish, Loretta Rogers Research Chair in Sport Marketing at Ryerson University. Peter Wittes, Professor of Marketing and Innovation and Program Coordinator of Sport and Event Business at George Brown. And Vijay Settler, Sport Marketing Instructor at Schulich School of Business. We discuss their respective journeys, their mentors, their areas of academic focus, the trends they are seeing and discussing with their students, and their professional development advice. Three great minds, a lively chat full of insights, stories, and a few laughs. I hope you enjoy. And for more episodes of the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing, follow me on LinkedIn, visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, or check out RothRevenue.com. Um, I'm not often the uh, smartest person in the room, uh, and today is definitely no exception to that. Uh, thrilled to be with the three of you. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, so, you know, my, my history with, with all of you is a little different. You know, Sherry, I know you the least um, of the three. We were, we were catching up before. Uh, but I do follow your work. I admire what you're doing at Ryerson. You wear many hats. Um, tell us about your career path and how you became the Loretta Rogers Univers uh, Research Chair in the Sport Marketing at uh, at Ryerson. Thanks, Kevin. And um, always good to intersect with um, enthused colleagues uh, in the field, uh, Vijay and Peter. I think there's a lot of sport management professors in, and I'm just going to say this up front, in Ontario now and in Canada, but there's few that straddle the industry and um, the theory of what we do. So we may get into that, but mm -hmm. I'm saying that now up front because Peter and Vijay do that. So I appreciate it because we're kind of fighting and banging on the same drum, right? <laughs> I, I believe even though we all do different things and we'll talk about that. So so uh, my path is considered a traditional sport um, professor uh, in faculty role and in route. I did um, master's PhD and then have a, a portfolio that is um, uh, research, uh, teaching and service in an academic uh, in university institution. Um, and so long story short, I graduated undergrad um, uh, at the University of Guelph. I was a varsity volleyball player. For me, that was an influencer in getting into sport business because was, there was only 12 schools at that time in North America who offered PhDs in sport management or sport business. Um, but it was because of the work I did um, in the on-court, off-court experiences that I had at Guelph that made me want to pursue something in sport. Um, and then in 97, I came to Brock. There was two courses on the books and about 12 students. And so really was the first faculty hire and the founder of the sport hmm. management program there. So I was at Brock for 16 years. And then in 2013, I was on mat leave. I say that because I think it's important for the women to hear you are always balancing yep. and probably sometimes too early, sometimes too late in life. 
But um, Ryerson posted this position, um, the Loretta Rogers Research Chair in Sport Marketing. It was, it was supported by the, the Rogers family who you all know, and we all know why they're important in sport. And it was in the School of Business and I wasn't in a school of business. And so um, I am fortunate during what I just described to do my master's and PhD um, to also always for some reason, and I don't know why, but just in my gut, cause I liked it. And I didn't really know it was important to have that industry connectivity. So I took us a leave and was with the Vancouver Grizzlies um, during in 95. So I was there at the ground floor and I knew that was important. Next year I went and worked for Nike Canada and had a, uh, a longer placement with them. And so I always, A, wanted to have the connection to Canada and B, um, just always to this day, feel we're only as relevant as we are um, relevant to the industry. And that's a soapbox comment that we can unpack a little bit. Um, and so in 2013, I applied um, to this role and was successful in getting it. And, you know, without getting into too much detail here right now, it definitely springboarded me and opened a ton of doors. Now I was lucky to have some key contacts and I'll mention two people that were really helpful to me. We can talk about them, but uh -huh. I was super fortunate at that point to be colleagues with Dave Hopkinson, who he and I are, are came into the industry at the same point and he was very good to me and continues to be so, or continued to be so in that role. And obviously Dave had just taken the chief yeah, president of president of business at MSG Sports. Yeah, but at that point had just taken the chief commercial officer role at MLSE and they had uh, a new president and things were, you know, I think life is about timing and I am so fortunate to have been at tables when things were happening, you know, to be at yes. the table when the NBA came to Canada. That's a really unique time to start teaching oh, in 97. Seismic shift, yeah. Quite mm. frankly, and I know you said to be brief, but 97 is the year Jerry Maguire came out. And I, I believe that has something to do with the growth of our field. Hey, there's going to be listeners, Sherry, who don't know. Uh, uh, um, they're going to say, where does Jerry Maguire work? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I, I just think timing's everything. And I, yeah. yeah. And so um, because it popularized what we to do and talk about. Yeah. True. Yeah. Especially so, the sport anyway, agent. Yeah. 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 But it just talked about sport as a business. Yeah. You know, in a way that people had our applications with, out a doubt were influences when I first started at, at Broth because yeah. of that movie. Because yeah. that movie, because parents knew Interesting. it. Interesting. Without a doubt, you yeah, know, and I've written that. Lee Steinberg about it, about <laughs> how I have because And that it, was it was based loosely on Lee Steinberg's course, career, yeah. right? Yeah. So nevertheless, just quickly, Dave yeah. Hopkinson and Dale Hooper, who ah, had just yeah. and Dale two, two um had just become the chief commercial officer of Rogers. And so I came into a time I came into it at a good time when things were exploding for both of them, right? MLSC sure. was growing and Rogers was growing. And so um, I've been at Ryerson now. This is my seventh year. Next year is my 25th year of teaching. Mm. I'm on sabbatical, thankfully, and I have a couple of really good projects mapped out. And then I think the only other thing to add to this quickly in 2018, we established after spending considerable time and a couple of years before that, the Future Sport Lab, which is a, a research and innovation um, hub that we continue to refine, but it- um, And I wanna, yeah, pick on that. Uh, we'll yeah, come so back to that for sure. That's, that's great. And, and and little side note, my next episode, I'm very uh, pleased to say, will be with Dave. Oh, um, good. 
Yeah, just uh, he's uh, he's I think he's still in Madrid uh, because of the school year with the kids and COVID and all that. But uh, he hasn't made his way maybe by now to New York for his next. Yeah, I bet that he's here actually in Toronto. Oh, he's here now. Okay, because when I reached out last, yeah, he said he was still still in 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 Madrid at maybe at that time. So he'll be the next one. So it's 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 the links. The industry's small, Sherry. Um, no, and it is in that. Yeah. That's part of my sabbatical, so I can tell you. Yeah, make- sure, sure. <laughs> um, you know, Peter, we we go back the longest. Um, you know, when I was a head of sales and marketing at WWE in the early 2000s, 2000 to about 2005, um, I remember coming and, and visiting with you and trying to convince you that we could sell more uh, chocolate bars if uh, if you you know you attach yourself to to the Rock and to uh, Trish Stratus and and all these uh, WWE superstars and you know got to know you then and and uh, have followed obviously your career and and uh, with what you do at George Brown uh, for the past twelve years and been very lucky and very honored to have been invited in to speak on a few occasions there um, yeah talk about we share some common you know mentors and 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 aspects of our career talk about your journey and it's interesting to hear Sherry's story because. It seems like those years of 97, 98, 99, that sort of late 90s window. Um, and I, I, and I, I found the chair, uh, the, almost the Cherry Maguire, but Jerry Maguire. <laughs> uh, I like that though. I'm yeah, Sherry that. Maguire. Yeah. <laughs> you can run with that. You can have that. Um, I find that interesting because at that time I was at Chris Lang and Associates, um, really getting my grounding as far yeah. as the macro perspective of this field as a as a mid twenties student of the industry and professionally industry. And that movie really made it that much more sexy for sport business. And I think, I agree, Cherry. I think that it's pop culture moments like that in time that have really played a role in the evolution of our entire industry. So fast rewind on me. Um, I'm a, I, I come from Oshawa and I've got two parents that have been in this quasi play space. And I'll use the word play because I'm about to embark on a, on a PhD journey with, with play thinking as my research um, and play in the context of uh, dad being an athletic director at a high school, um, football coach, basketball coach, uh, just a real influence on sort of me being conditioned in the context of sport growing up. And then my mom, a kindergarten teacher. So it's like I, <laughs> there was Lego on the floor and there were hockey sticks in the garage and basketballs. And so I really grew up around play in the context of different aspects of it from my younger years into my high school years where I, like Cherry, followed my dream into university and was an, was an athlete. Although I don't think, and I say this to be really couched, this, I don't think I was as good as you were, Cherry, as a varsity player. I was on the team, um, but I went to a little liberal arts university in Rochester, New York called Robert Wesleyan and was on a partial basketball scholarship. And it was a big deal for me because that was my goal. I'm a very goal-driven person to this day. And to make the team as a small five foot nine, three quarters, (laughs) point guard, shooting guard, who really embraced the three-point line, it was a really big deal for me. But You were Steph Curry before Steph Curry. I was, I was. Got it, got it, I noted. But it's interesting because I, I've done a lot of soul searching as I've got into academia as to sort of connecting the dots as to why I'm here. And I, in high school, I used to run a basketball tournament for grade eights. And I would, 
I would adjust the three point line to being closer in so kids could learn to shoot from a closer distance. And I'd sell sponsorship around it. And I didn't really know that that was really event marketing <laughs> um, at the time. I was just operating in my dad's classroom as being a, a sport enthusiast and trying to, 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 to help raise money for um, our teams to go on trips. So um, finished high school, went on to university, played basketball for my first couple of years, and then finished with a bachelor of science in business. And very fortunate, started working not too, not too long thereafter um, in the advertising world. I started at Gray Advertising um, as an account executive, um, working on P&G, and was not exposed to any context of sport, but in the back of my mind, always as a fan, an athlete had that interest to see how sport could play a role in helping my clients. And although those opportunities didn't emerge, and I did try um, with some of my clients to look at sport theme promotions, but that evolved into me staying on the agency side and, and going to work at uh, Chris Lang and Associates, um, which at the time, and you know Gavin this quite well, because you know Chris quite well, um, really in the mid nineties and actually since 1968 into the into the eight, late 80s and 90s was really a, a, a prominent foundation for a lot of folks that have built their careers in this field. And I think I knew you've had Chris on the show. And if we ever yeah, did, he was my first he was my first episode. I said to Chris, I'd be honored. Uh, I can't think of anybody better uh, sponsorship marketing Hall of Famer and a, a legend, right? Well, true legend and true legend in the context that if we ever went through the alumni that worked for that organization. Oh, the leaders, all leaders today. To, to this day. And yeah. um, that for me was a real critical window of development um, in my understanding of utilizing sponsorship as a medium or platform to build brands and sport being a catalyst for that. Like Cherry, that was the 97, 98, 99 sort of window. And I moved from Lang after having some great experiences and training there into um, a brand management capacity uh, at Cadbury. Um, and that, if you were to ask me sort of what was the big window or what was the springboard where it all came together for me to understand um, from, soup to, <laughs> from soup to nuts, the whole... Well, you worked at Campbell's too. And I so. worked at Campbell's. <laughs> Funny how that happened. Yeah, you come by that <laughs> saying honestly. <laughs> I, just, I, I don't mean to, but I, there's a bit of a copywriter yeah. in me. Um, <laughs> you know, and but that moment where we be, we became a founding partner of Cadbury, or sorry, of Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment and their venue at the time, which was Air Canada Centre. And I was not hired for a sponsorship role, so to speak. Uh, Cadbury had brought in a lot of executives from the UK to actually head up new media platforms and sponsorship and presence marketing at the time was one of them. But they had just done a three-year deal with Vince Carter. They had just done a three-year deal at the Air Canada Centre. They'd done a three-year deal with Canada's Wonderland. And they were becoming a player as a brand in the year 2000 in that space. And opportunities emerged where they needed counsel on what was best practices to look at. And I seized the moment and had an opportunity to step right in to create a, another role for myself. So I actually created my own job there. I was a brand manager and then became an experienced strategist. And I really, it was, it was a little above my head at the time, but you know, as a young buck, I 
I ended up being in a position where I was overseeing all the properties that, that Cadbury was leveraging in the sport and event sponsorship space. So it was an incredible moment where I just stepped into a leadership capacity and really because of Cadbury's ownership of the four P's in the marketing mix and specifically product development and not taking dictation from south of the border, we really got to be hands-on in building um, activation strategy and programs, but specifically with Vince Carter for me, that was probably without question, hands-on co-creation of a product with, at the time, um, one of the top, top five most popular athletes in the world, um, looked after by Mark Steinberg, who is related to Lee Steinberg. Um, it was a pretty, and who oversaw two athletes, Mark being P Tiger Woods and Vince Carter. Mm. It was a pretty amazing training experience on the job. And the, the coupled with the, 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 the work I was able to do at Lang and then on top that cat that springboarded my career. Yeah, and, yeah. and I could go on and on about sure. what that did. And then, then that fast forward and, and you had a couple other stops agency side, but, but yes. just um, what, what led, what, what was the, the kind of that impetus that, that got you into George Brown and to start that you've been there almost 12 years now. I have. So I'm also, and I, I didn't go too much in my academic background, but I'm actually a graduate of the George Brown sport and event marketing program. So when I graduated in 97, after working two years at gray, um, again, interesting time and location. Chris Lang at the time was only hiring as trainees, people from the George Brown program. They would not hire outside the program. So they would take on two trainees each year. And I was fortunate to be one of those trainees. And so the George Brown program became a part of my DNA. Fast forward 12 years, I had the opportunity um, to come back and, and teach on, on a part-time level, but that then evolved into a tenured position and, and headship position. And it's it's been, uh, you know, one where it's incredible to now actually help ground that next generation through the journey of me going full circle. Love it, and and we'll we'll get to that, and, and that's the theme really today is inspiring the next generation of sport marketing and sponsorship marketing leaders. Um, that's that's a, a fascinating uh, background, uh, VJ. We've also known each other not as long as Peter, but. But you know, I, I think it's going on 12, 15 years. Um, we share. You're, you're you're an instructor of sport marketing at Schulich School of Business. I'm a York grad. I never did the MBA program, but that linkage, my sport marketing career, has brought you to me, and and I know you invited me into network and talk to the the class a few times, and we got to know each other that way. And as similar mm -hmm. to these two, Sherry and Peter, I followed. Uh, your career and your path, but uh, enlighten the the listeners. Tell us about your journey. Yeah, if I had to encapsulate uh, my journey in one word, it would probably be resiliency. And and I'll get into why uh, I could say that one word would best sum it up. Uh, so I finished my undergrad degree in urban and regional planning, which is a completely unrelated field uh, in 1997. So again, with the late 90s team here. And uh, I worked in that for about three years uh, and found that it wasn't what I thought it would be. It didn't fuel my fire. So then uh, upon hearing stories in that program about how difficult it would be to find a job, I thought, well, it'd be best for me to develop a, an alternative career just in case uh, something happens. Uh, I don't want to be up the creek, so to speak. So uh, I, at that point, I actually amassed a lot of volunteer experience in the industry from 
working at the Motor City Bowl college football game in Detroit to uh, working with uh, Canada Soccer on international matches here in Toronto. So I thought, okay, why not parlay that volunteer experience into a, a transition and a changing careers into the sports and entertainment business world? So then I thought, okay, well, with that volunteer experience, uh, I need to add some education to that to supplement it. So I added a certificate in PR from Ryerson, then a certificate in event management from George Washington University in DC. And then the piece de resistance, I guess you could say was finishing my uh, MBA in 2009 from, from York. And interestingly, uh, when I finished the MBA program, actually I was actually teaching at York uh, even before I finished the degree, which is not really allowed, uh, but uh, they knew I was finishing. So they gave me the opportunity to do that. And that really stemmed from just wanting to share a lot of the knowledge uh, that came from those volunteer experiences with the students in the, the now defunct sports uh, administration certificate program at York. So then the dean at the time was saying, well, why don't you apply to teach the class? So I'm thought, okay, well, that's not why I came to you, uh, but sure, I'll, I'll apply for it. So I was passed over the first time, then I got the class the second time. So then when I was preparing the midterm, midterm exam for that course, I then went to uh, the, the professor at Schulich, who now is the acting dean of the school, who at that time uh, was teaching the course that I teach now. And I asked him, you know, would you be able to help me prepare this midterm exam? I haven't done this before. He said, well, I can do that, but I'm also going on sabbatical for you. Can you teach my class? And I thought, okay, again, that's not why I'm here, uh, but uh, sure, I, I can do that. And uh, ever since then- I uh, love those little moments, right? <laughs> those, that, that very innocent moment. And and it just, you know- Exactly, out, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it's you have to take opportunities and, and run with them. And, right. uh, and I owe a lot to the school. I mean, they allowed me into the MBA program with a very minimal GMAT score. Uh, so they've, uh, they've believed in me. Careful. Don't implicate yourself too much in this. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then, I, and then at the same time, they allowed me to teach when uh, I didn't have a lot of experience in that. So I run through the wall for that institution. That's great. Uh, and I've really tried to pay them back uh, ever since for what they, what they did in investing in me, because a lot of people uh, earlier on in my career, never, I wouldn't say never, but I didn't really have a mentor. Nobody really took me under their, their wing. Everything I achieved, I had to do it on my own with limited information. So uh, that's where the resiliency comes in is just kind of overcoming these these challenges. So mm. when I started uh, when I started teaching, I thought, okay, once I get a full-time job in the industry, which was always my goal and which still is my my goal, uh, I would leave teaching. but then I just enjoyed it so much and found that what I was achieving uh, was were things that I was very proud of. I was actually making a difference in the the future lives of students. and I thought, well, I don't want to give this up and and I figured any job that I would hopefully apply for in the future, uh, would enable me to keep teaching, and if they didn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it. So while I taught, uh, I also was still trying to achieve my primary goal of working in the industry, which uh, still exists to this day. Uh, but unfortunately, my, the industry side of my career has not gone the way uh, I would have liked. I've been restructured out of jobs more than once, uh, you know, through no fault of my own. Uh, but you know, things happen. What can you do? So my career on the industry side has been a series of stops and starts, stops and starts, and it hasn't had the upward trajectory that I that I hoped it would, despite a lot of effort, despite a lot of networking. But on the flip side, I'm very proud of what I've done on the academic side, uh, from staging uh, the country's only sports media and entertainment career fair, which we're heading into our sixth edition coming up next Friday, uh, to our sponsored marketing workshop, uh, because we believe that we need to prepare students for future careers in that industry and not have them backdoor it into that profession after yeah. having maybe worked in brand marketing. Yeah, and we'll come back to that sponsorship marketing workshop. I think that's a good, uh, I want to talk about your respective areas of academic focus. And that mm -hmm. certainly is very relevant to the theme of, of this uh, podcast. So that's mm -hmm. great. Um, 
you know, let's, let's maybe then, and so mentorship, before we get into academic focus, and I think some of you touched on it, but, um, you know, Sherry, back to you, you know, you talked about people like Dave and, and Dale, um, but I imagine there were other uh, uh, influential uh, voices in, in your life, you know, that led you to kind of the, the successful career you've had. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's important to note uh, for your audience, it is really tough as a female to, to, to yeah. get your PhD and to to keep your career with a PhD. You have to, and if you want to have a family, you have to fit that in. And um, so somewhere. And so um, I say that because, um, you know, there's only about 10% of women who have, um, who, who in this field in sport management are, are female faculty, the numbers are increasing. But at the time when I was doing it, I was the only one who graduated from my class that was a woman. So um, that being said, um, that probably colors some of my mentorship conversations. Um, so I would say my academic, uh, my mentors in this, and, and, you know, I don't come from a family of graduate students, let alone PhD students. So I would say my mentors are, are from um, academia and then in the industry. And so um, I would say in the academic space, uh, you know, the, those who are on my um, PhD committee were helpful. There's a gentleman by the name of Bill Sutton, who some of you may know because Bill authored the textbook that is the, the highest subscribed to textbook. I think we all use different ones in sport marketing. Um, and I've been fortunate him and a gentleman named Dave Stotler have been kind of my go-to and both really well-known and, um, we've built wonderful relationships, um, with them. I think at Brock, I had two faculty that I came in, um, to working with who kind of looked after me when I started because building a program is tough. I would say at Ryerson, my mentors, um, in day to day have been really three people. So, um, we implemented when I started in, Again, I, I say wholeheartedly having the Rogers tag to my title definitely helped and open doors. You know, I did land on a private jet at one point. <laughs> Those things were helpful, right? And it was because of that. So one of the things Ryerson did to grow exponentially with their president, uh, Sheldon Kennedy, Sheldon, Kennedy, Sheldon Le uh, Levy, who looked after me, um, was a program called um, Distinguished Visiting Professors in. So we had, we, I've worked with two distinguished visiting professors in sport business. Um, the first was Tom Insomni, who's a wonderful, uh, there's no better person to work with, I think, to figure out the industry and strip away the bullshit and um, say, here's how you can be good and respected and, and be, maintain some humility about you. That's my two cents with Tom. That's great. Ironically, when I interned with the Grizzlies in 20, in 1995, Tom was part of Orca Bay, right? So it's ironic. He tells that story and the students are like, how old is she really? But so I would say for sure, I credit Tom and Salmonay for helping build a lot of the things and helping me then. Particularly, he was coming off his time out of MLSE. So he didn't need to do anything and probably didn't want to do anything. But I, I still keep in touch with him. And the other one now, as you know, is probably, you probably know, is Brian Cooper. So I... Sure can't speak enough about how much he has done for me, but I am, you know, and he probably won't listen to this, but I'm shocked all the time how much more he's doing for someone who could retire. Right. Yeah. And he talks and mentors other people all the time. He does more than most. 
I would argue that most people I know in this, in the industry and in kind of that cadre of where he sits in that band. And then there's a, the third man is, his name is Ralph Lean. And I don't know if you know Ralph Lean. Know but the he, name, uh, know the name. But he's, the um, he's a lawyer, but he's done a lot of work in the sport industry. So I would say that's where my, that's yeah. And I think for, I'll just add, I think for, as a, as a tool or as a learning benchmark for me, my focus has really become where do I want to spend my time for the rest of my career, which is in um, kind of these industry partnerships and programs. I really look at the legacy of things. I think I've done so many years of um, programs that are good for the students, but I'm like, oh, I want to stick my meat in, you know, I want to stick, stick the yardstick in it and do a little bit more with it. And so that's why the Future of Sport Lab and the fan study today, and we're doing an EDI project with a postdoc um, and a black scholar. I'm trying to look at the longer tail of things. And so I share that because for me, my mentors now have been shaped by people who understand the industry linkages with academia. And that's those right. don't always come in your own home unit. They often, you have to seek those people out. So well I just said. share that as no, as well a said. Yeah, and and Brian Cooper was one of my. I was saying earlier when 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 uh, Peter mentioned Chris Lang, I, I thought no better person to start my podcast series uh, almost two years ago now than with Chris. Brian was close behind. I think I I think Brenda Woods was my second um, uh, episode, and Brian was my third. And you're right; they, these are people that have really shaped the industry and remain incredibly influential. So great uh, shout outs there. Peter, um, you know, you mentioned, you touched on a little bit in your journey there, but you want to single out mentors? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Jerry, just wowza um, on yours. And it's, there's such an intersection between the three of us, four of us, if, you know, Gavin too. Um, I would say at each job stop, um, in, in my private sector first. And then act, it's interesting because we look at the three of us, we've got different, different paths to where we all are in a complementary space. And I, I agree with Cherry. You made a comment earlier on about like way back when about like that really we all complement each other at the schools mm -hmm. we and the programs we oversee. It's not really competition. It's more complementary and collaboration. And, yeah. but my, on the private sector side as a start, um, a gentleman by the name of Everett Elting, who was the chief executive officer at Gray in the 80s and 90s. That's, a great, that's an advertising name. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, and it's for another podcast, if you're interested, how we actually met. And I do believe in fate and it just how it really, if I didn't meet him, I don't know if I would be where I am today, but from that moment when I was 22 years old, it springboarded me in focus. Yeah, I'm not Remember, interested. His daughter, no, his I'm daughter. Not, now, I'm not interested at all, Peter. Yeah, but carry on. <laughs> that's not a pitch. Swear to God. Um, but it's <laughs> interesting. Good. The name lives on. So his he's uh, he, he was a was integral to my journey. Um, and his daughter Liz Elting, actually, if you Google the name, she runs the Liz Elting Foundation in New York, and she's a that name quite, really rings a bell. Quite a prominent. Yes. Business yeah. person in the United States, like really prominent, um, self-made, um, gotcha. someone to, to just explore um, for sure. Um, that was really critical. And then without question, I'm going to say the Lang family, um, Chris, Mike, um, the senior leadership team that was there at that point. It's interesting, uh, Cherry, 
you may know this from Brian or not, you know, I went there and I think Brian was there in the late eighties, yeah. you know, because Chris would often give offices to people to help them start their businesses. And I mean, I used to sit there when I was, I was working as a 25 year old on the, the 98 um, Nagano games and in would come Brian Henderson and Bobby Orr and, you know, and, and Chris was sitting down one-to-one -one and counseling these folks on their, their own businesses. And I, I just didn't really know fully how fortunate I was to be a part of that environment. I was actually saying to Gavin at the beginning of the podcast, I've looked at some materials that I was grounded in for my, my training at that time. And they would work today without question. We were so, it was such a forward thinking environment that I was fortunate to, to be a part of. So I would say that. And then my next move to Cadbury, that's an interesting one because that became more um, consumer product, packaged goods, product invention oriented um, in, in that sort of learning experience. But I, I would have to say in that role, um, specifically uh, John Bradley, who was vice president of marketing at Cadbury at the time, um, now is an author, consultant, um, and a bit with IMG, actually not a bit, a lot with IMG um, in indirect ways. So Natalie Cook, who was at IMG at the time, um, I just missed Dale Hooper. Uh, Dale was a brand manager, <laughs> group brand manager at Cadbury. He'd left to go to Frito-Lay when I got hired at Cadbury. So there's a real, it's funny when you said Brian mm -hmm. or Dale, uh, Sherry, because I just missed him um, in my sort of yeah. start on packaged goods. Um, and then moving on to Campbell's for almost four years, without question, Mark Childs, who was vice president of marketing at the time and now heads up uh, Metrolinx, I believe. Um, Randy Weyersberg, who was at Nike, um, executive yeah. director at the time. Oh, when I was OLG at now. Yeah. OLG now, who, yeah. who was at Cadbury, actually. I should have mentioned him at Cadbury. And then Phil Don um, at Campbell's, who, I don't know if you know the story, but Phil and Mark created uh, the vector program for, for and product themselves for Kellogg's during the late 90s, early 2000s. So they went to Campbell's and that that journey and that experience there for four years was phenomenal. Um, and then going to Mark Anthony, working for an owner in hair care uh, as, a, as a hairstylist who's built his own product line in Canada was incredible in that regard. And then going on to um, launch, which became Mosaic and the owners there. Um, and, and folks that have gone on to SDI marketing, like Wilf, um, Mike Smith, um, and a couple others. So each stop had really interesting. Yeah. Influential it people. Wasn't, it, yeah. It wasn't academia, but what's interesting as I bridged into academia, Pete McCaskill, who I'd certainly been in touch with throughout my career, who had started the George Brown program with a lot of faculty in the early nineties when there was no, term post-grad actually uh, at all um, and partnered with Chris and other executives at the Blue Jays to create this program was very integral to me bridging into academia. And then now without question, um, the Dean, Dr. Ian Austin, um, at the Dean of our school and Elizabeth Spears have been integral to me really to, to just add to what Cherry said, because this is where the college postgraduate certificate world has always been about partnership, cohesion in training students more in an applied context as, uh, as to focusing on the theoretical. And I firmly believe you got to have both and to be successful. And yeah. that comes from my private sector first, now academic 
piece in bringing yeah. that together. And awesome. I think, yeah, and I think more and more, it's very hard to do that. And I say that because I always say to my students, you know, I've got my butt kicked on Dragon's Den. I've got my butt kicked at Walmart trying to get products into the store. And now I got to look at defending a thesis for my PhD. And but they're all pitches. Oh, they're but, all but pitch. come on, right? Those are light, those are invaluable lessons. But getting your oh. butt kicked is way more memorable than having an easy win. <laughs> I still use, I still use the video and you're welcome to Google yeah. it, but I, yeah. you know, and, and facing Kevin O'Leary seven years ago, yeah, with boy. Client, it was, we, we didn't do well and I'm, I make fun of it, but to get there and to understand the pitch process and oh, then do help, invaluable, it was invaluable. So I now, and, and Sherry, I'll probably be calling on you at some time about PhD counsel I have before, mm -hmm. but I you really got to keep writing. Keep I writing. know. <laughs> well, I, there's I, this expression. Your, your PhD will be the worst last document you ever worked on. And you just have to remember that. Well, I tell you, it's an interesting journey right now because I also was a copywriter at Mark Anthony. And so I can write short, I can write themed, and then I have to write long-winded as an academic. So it's it's a quite a, <laughs> a mix. But yeah. I think, and this will lead you to, to VJ, but I really think the, uh, the theory reality bridge for the industry we, the three of us collectively try to build needs three folks like us and yourself, Gavin, too, because you train too from a, yep. your work experience. And it's not like one's better than the other. And I say that to my faculty who teach on my team, who come in as executives often saying, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. I'm just going to motivate the student base and then off they go. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to suspend your neutrality around or your or corporate and your private sector to, and get into the neutral academic space, which is bridging that is not as easy as folks realize. And I think, you know, shout out to Sherry, what she's done with this fan research study, because I didn't have access to any of that when I was in the private sector. I wanted to, you know, but I didn't have access to any of that. I would, you know, as I looked at private sector initiatives to build connectivity with the target audience, I didn't, well, I didn't. And you know, those things probably, Gavin, you'll pick up on it. It's, it's about the network, right? Yep. I, I didn't go like that, you know, and we all know this and that's a lesson for the students is um, and what you spoke to. And sorry, Gavin, I know no. you're the host, no, but, no, um, no. but, and I think some faculty are desperately missing this in Ontario. It, and I say Ontario cause it's a concentration and we have access to Toronto. So, but you can't just Go no. like that and say, I'm going to partner no. with MLSC. No. MLSC. No. You can't do that with Rogers. And so you have to understand building the network and is part of this mentor question to you, Gavin, and the relationship. And, you know, as I said, I've been working with Rogers. And that's great professional years. development advice, right? Which we'll, we'll come back to. You have to get to know these people in our market. Yeah. And I would argue to build on your comment, Sherry, not just get to know, but to understand how they think. And this is where I, I, I failed to mention one last mentor who... Richard Petty. So mm. when I was at MLSC, not at MLSC, but working in concert with their team at the time, which was a smaller group, but Richard had, and this is why I, I actually, out of all the mentors I've talked about, I actually, there's a lot of me that, that respects him the most in a lot of ways because he's got the blend. He's got the blend of consumer product, private sector, running a big organization, running a stadium, running teams. Yeah, they didn't win but he set the foundation for the next evolution. And he understood the importance around, I mean, the term brand, I'd argue, was not used 
in the context of sport, sport terminology yeah. until yeah. he got his team down there to think about it's just like green giant but it's mm -hmm. this property that isn't beans it's hockey yeah and that portfolio and, and maybe one of the great examples being we the north right in more recent times which was posed but he laid a foundation for yeah. uh, you know tim lywicki and the team ushered that was, in in the late 90s and i'll say this to everyone movement. there was no business plans for nhl teams yeah yeah <laughs> and so i came yeah. from a world that i mean and i can say when gavin you came in and we you, you were right it would have been a great fit with wwe you know to oh great thank you now you say <laughs> it yeah <laughs> but, oh but at God. the time i had my asset and i was you know that wasn't Vince. the word we used yeah, but that was my athlete yeah, yeah. let's but, let's let's go to yeah let's yeah. we'll come back to it but let's go to vj uh, vj um mentors uh, who inspired you along the way? Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't have any uh, mentors. Uh, I didn't really understand the value of of having a mentor or how to even approach a mentor, you know, way back in the day. So a lot of what I have achieved is through my own volition, initiative, uh, you know, my own efforts. And uh, uh, that's why I try to play a, a role as a mentor for students now, because I understand, mm -hmm. you know, the, the pitfalls of not having a mentor or even uh, understanding the value of one or, or or even trying to pursue one so i don't want people to make mistakes that i that i made early on in in my career so i try to uh, help them i don't want them to repeat uh, kind of the struggles that i've that i've gone through but uh, the one person that has really uh facilitated a, a lot of what i've been able to do is my mom and uh, she made a lot of sacrifices for me ensuring that i stay healthy uh taking on maybe work that i should be doing just so that i can pursue my passions and, and without uh, without that, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd be able to do half of what I was able to do because not having any siblings and not having uh, a large family, uh, you know, it's a heavy burden to have to uh, take on a lot of different things on your on your own. And uh, so despite that, uh, I've been able to achieve what I've been able to achieve. And, uh, you know, there are people that have tried to help along the way. And uh, and I've, I've approached people in the industry on how I can improve the industry side of my yeah. career. And Oftentimes, unfortunately, they would say, well, why don't you do your PhD? And, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm looking for assistance on being successful in the industry, not on the academic side. And you know, that was disappointing because it told me that people weren't really listening to me. They didn't understand my perspective. And uh, um, so that, was, that made it somewhat challenging as well. But I would say in more recent times, I, I think the one person that's really tried to understand my situation and sympathize with the unique challenges that I face is Jim Kozak at Mediacom. Yeah, uh, and Jim, uh, he's been great uh, uh, in just listening to me and in meeting with me and uh, trying to help me navigate some of those unique challenges of, of how do I uh, how do I step away from sort of the the academic brand that I built and and try to be uh, perceived as more of an industry solutions provider. And that's a unique challenge that I face that a lot of other people don't have to face. I love going back to yeah that 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 parent right that is is uh, is often our our greatest influ uh, greatest mentor so well great. said um, I want to shift to and, and very honest said, answer I liked your candor there I thought that was incredibly good. refreshing uh, Sherry can I just add one Please. piece to the mentor and again acknowledging. Um, women are still looking for opportunities to grow in this field and in other kind of uh, demographics and acknowledging um, uh, it, it, this could be learning for students. I think, and this is a little bit of a theme from VJs, I think mentors can be people from above who have yep. who have been through some of, some of those challenges from before, but I think mentors can also be your colleagues to VJ's yep. point. And so 
I didn't share, and we call this our best kept secret, but I don't know, if, and I don't know if you folks are aware. Um, one of the things I was able to do with the funding I had through Rogers, and we continue this, is something we call the Loretta Lunch Club. And um, it's a group of about 15 women. We meet once a month now virtually, but then we meet quarterly for lunch in the city. And it includes Natalie Cook and it includes Allison Walker and Teresa Resch and Tanya Morak. And I could go on and on, but um, uh, Stacey Allister is now part of our group. And let me tell you, um, getting your tribe and building your cabinet, your, your advisors, I think is a theme I just wanted to share. And that's mm. ours. And I could go on and on about them. I talk about that uh, in, in the training work I do about building your own ambassador club. And, and yeah. that's a great, uh, that's a, a perfect one. And, and I did want that perspective from you because I said, I, I hate bridging it by saying it's because I'm a girl dad and I got two daughters. Um, but I've always just leaned in. I got two sisters. I don't have brothers. So I've always just been in tune to, you know, just just opportunities and and seeing women grow and in, in business and uh, and sports, which is a field I've mostly been in. Um, but this importance of if you're a young female executive, the importance of finding a, a female mentor, right? Mm -hmm. who you aspire to be in that and just getting guidance. I think, I think is different um, as a woman to find a another inspirational and influential I woman. I think any any group, any whether it be, you know, we look at the conversation and focus in our field on um, uh, black leadership and executives in sport. VJ, I know you're doing some work in your community in in sport. Yeah. I think just building a tribe statistics talk about how we we've lost that for so long because the social media and the the you know the lunch clubs you know of in this country the empire clubs and the in the um canadian clubs that were so vital to that networking we shouldn't yeah. lose all those components yeah. of getting together purposefully and having like-minded thinkers and well colleagues said. so uh, i just wanted to offer that as a learning for your audience no, thank you um so as uh, shift to academic focus, uh, Sherry, we'll stay with you. Uh, you know, one thing that, uh, I mean, there's so much that stands out when reviewing uh, what you do, but for something that I read, you know, the, that your, your scholarship interest covers sport business strategy and trends, including innovation and entrepreneurship, sport and social impact, and women in sport leadership. Uh, I was hoping a little bit of a focus of our discussion on that. But I mean, there's so many ways you can go. Um, just talk about your areas of academic focus. Sure. So um, sport marketing is, uh, marketing was my minor in my PhD, uh, along with management strategy. Um, and uh, I would say, as you pointed out, I have three main pillars, which is sport business trends, which is really innovation and looking at strategy and thinking about you know, here's, here's the models to which we're established. How are they changing? And I think we'd all agree because of this virtual displaced fan, that's a huge change to the models of the sport industry. And I don't feel it gives and gets enough attention. We're talking, you know, it's not the fan in the, in North America, it was different in Europe, but the fan is so displaced from the fan, from the sport experience. And that used to be at the core. We know that we, you know, we can teach that slide, I'm sure with our eyes closed. So looking at sports strategy broadly and and is is an interest of mine and marketing is is you know the core of what i studied 
Um, a lot of that's been articulated now through the work I'm doing in innovation and entrepreneurship. So how how have we become more three-dimensional and um, how are problems being solved by digital digital solutions and, and entrepreneurs and that whole field, students have to understand the, the importance of like know why venture capital is so important in sport, why you know this oh these ownership groups are changing, how they're changing. It's all part and parcel the same. And then just because of who I am and what I've done, and I know it needs to that drum needs to always bang is is understanding the female sport market. And then I've always been interested in and part of a couple of different working groups over the last few years that's sport and social impact. So um, that's kind of where we talk about now and I've just hired and we announced in November uh, uh, PhD complete postdoc in the area of looking at um, uh, the EDI in sport, particularly um, the black leadership experience and um, racism in sport. So it's his project, Richard Norman, but I'm supporting him. So, and then I would categorize all my projects under those two, those three pillars um, and go from there. Sport and social impact often share the story I was born in Johannesburg, came at a young age, but still always, always maintain this attachment. And one of the great moments, sporting moments and cultural moments that I watched and my wife who was also born there, uh, I remember her crying watching it was uh, the 95 World Cup where Nelson Mandela um, donned a Springboks jersey, a symbol for many, many years of apartheid and and awarded the trophy to the team and um and the how that event you know united a country yeah briefly perhaps but inspired i think a longer term movement a, a sport and social impact you again you could have a whole separate yeah and i think on you that. know for what we do as research as teachers i always include in all my courses a unit which could be a class or two on giving back. And the reason I do this is, um, this is an industry, I think we have a responsibility to say, okay, we're going to give you a toolkit. And you have to be the best sport manager you can be. And we know that can be a lot of things. But to me, it's also having some humility, and some social conscious and awareness. So yes, I talk about it as um, it, it, being socially conscious is good for business, but I'm also doing that because I want to remind them it's about the kids in Regent Park. And if we don't get that, you're not getting it. And so, you know, another, another conversation, but we have a responsibility as instructors, I think to main, to keep their egos in check. And, and I'll just share a story. When I went to Florida state where I really saw it, I went in 93. So you can date me or whatever you can date my, I'm 29. And so um, why is that the number? Stacy always says I'm 29. That <laughs> whole thing. Yeah. But, but you know, I can't Florida talk about State, Seinfeld. Yeah. I can't yeah. show Seinfeld clips in class. That really to me is when I jump the shark and people are like figuring it out. But nevertheless, I say that because when I went in 93, uh, Florida State um, won the, the national championship. They won a Heisman and they went to the Sweet 16. And I was fortunate to also work in athletics, but also be a tutor for work done and, and um, Derek Brooks, if you know those names, like great. Anyways, of I was course. fortunate to be part of a cadre where they took us aside and basically said, excuse my French, don't be a jock sniffer. And we, I learned early on, if I wanted to be part of that group and be accepted, and this is going to work, 
you know, I, I had a class with David Falk one week and Sonny Vaccaro the next. It was a time wow. I was so fortunate to be wow. there. That was that's, you know, in Brett Musker the next week because he was on campus. It was the game oh. of the week. Wow. And wow. I'm so like, like I come from a town of 100 people like a farmer's daughter dropped in Tallahassee, Florida. I had no idea. Anyways, my point is this. I learned early on humility matters in this sport in this field and that's a whole other conversation and we yeah. know we could strip some people away and some organizations away from that and the pressure cooker yeah. it's ne it never pays off no, that word, so that that's terms in incredibly, I, I, I reference yeah. that because that's why I always am committed to including it in what I teach because I want them to know why Giants of Africa is important and right to play in those organizations so well said. thank you well yeah said. yeah Peter no I getting excited by the conversation where it's going. I, I, to add to Sherry's comments, and it's it's tough to expand that much more because she's covered off a lot of stuff, but, you know, growing up as a, with my dad being a phys ed teacher and being in athletics and really understanding the importance of, or learning the importance of um, inclusiveness. And I mean, of course we didn't use that word at that time, but us all getting along and becoming good people and dad would always say, you know, and I didn't label him as a mentor, but I thought VJ's comments were, and I was like, oh yeah, right, personal life. Um, but, you know, dad always, when we were on the team, it wasn't about winning, it was about how can we be the best leaders we can be when we go on to university. And I didn't quite understand that as a 17 year old, I wanted to win basketball games and just a different psyche at the time. As a, as a high school student, but as I go on now and reflect and looking back and also my my emerging emergence within the industry, I think where it really crystallized for me was again, during my Lang days, but evolving to Cadbury, where it was like, we always looked at charity as not just something that was a nice to have, but there needed to be something that was building the community, like in some way that was, I mean, yes, it had to be relevant to the brand and yes, it had to be differentiated versus other branded investments because there was a return on, you know, emotional capital, but your commentary about Regent Park and getting, I mean, we have to think that way. And I think sport has for a long time, it's just not been a part of the forefront of the story, you know, where it's now there in a heightened way, which is amazing. Um, but I mean, my students and I were talking about yesterday, the unifying power of sport, which is making its way into every message from almost every brand. <laughs> at the moment right now, which is a great thing. But the only ad I would, and that was sort of just to amplify further what Cherry talked about was social consciousness and awareness. But the only ad I would say that I really try to integrally build into my, my students' um, skill sets, if, if you will, is I really want to teach them that creativity is, a, it's not a soft skill, it's not an add-on, but creative intelligence is, and that ability to be whatever we want to define it and however we want to look at it is integral to succeeding in any form of it, any form of work, I, I, I would say. But it's, it's one of those things, having worked at an ad agency early on in my career, and, and Gavin, you might be able to relate this too from your journey, where it was kind of a in the side department. Oh, we'll get to that later. Or, oh, that's not your job. You're the business strategist. That's, you don't write copy. Wait a minute. That's for the business guys. And I think that the notion of social consciousness, creative intelligence, adaptability, and the last one I'll add is, and Sherry alluded to this a bit about understanding like why, you know, 
capital investment firms and you know the amalgamation of different entertainment companies like Disney owning ESPN and understanding that Mickey Mouse and toys are another form of content just like LeBron James. But bridging that divide is a tough thing to teach, I, I will say. It's a tough thing to kind of teach. But I will add that understanding really the science and art of marketing combined and really understanding that and yeah, being a good marketer first and then understanding that application in the context of sport and entertainment is easy to put on a slide and for us to discuss. And I know the four of us do get it. But really getting folks to understand that, I think, and I'd argue this, this may be a part of my PhD in some ways, you have to almost work first for a bit and then connect the dots going back to understand. Well, isn't perspectives uh, the yeah. magic word, right? Yeah, perspective, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. I would just add, you know, that piece, but sending good leaders into the industry in the world right now, I felt I've always been about that, but I really feel now it's like, it's in, it's integral. We need people in this field. And, and maybe what the definition of a leader has changed. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, really good. that understanding, yes. Good, good. Vijay, what, talk about what you really try and, and cover in the sport marketing side. I know you do tourism marketing as well, but uh, your academic focus, what you're trying to impart to your, uh, your students. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, from a, from a knowledge standpoint, uh, I try to make sure that uh, in the confines of six weeks that I cover as much on the sports marketing side as I can. So that ranges it from everything from fan engagement to brand management, to licensing, merchandising, to uh, social media, digital media technology, to sports marketing and, and its fusion with popular culture, which actually is my favorite topic. So I do a lot of research into how uh, sports marketing practices, leveraging film and TV and fashion and beauty and music and food and, uh, and celebrity to uh, generate revenue and build brands. So that's sort of a, a pet uh, area of my uh, of mine that I mm -hmm. uh, really find a lot of fascinating fascination with. And But overall, when it comes to the curriculum, that's what I focus on. But for me, really, it's all about uh, an industry-centric approach to education. And and that's based on not only the knowledge that the students learn, because they need to know all, all of those areas, but it's also the, the skill development. It's the ability uh, for them to solve a company's problems. Because as I often tell them, if you can't solve a company's problems, then what value do you bring? And you're, you're only as good as the as your ability to solve a company's problems. And that's what companies are looking for. They're looking for people who can solve their complex, multifaceted problems. And that's why when I take that industry-centric approach to learning, it's it pervades everything that I do from the real industry projects that the students work on. And we've worked on projects for 108 companies over the last decade uh, to the uh, guest speakers that we have in the classroom, which Peter and Jerry uh, bring in as well. So it, it's really all about uh, having this industry-centric approach to learning, which also includes having workshops uh, on sponsorship marketing or analytics or on uh, career development and so on. It's all about preparing students for success uh, because we want to create that bridge between academia and the industry. We don't want them to just think that by knowing information that they're prepared. No, it's not only knowing information, but it's taking that information and solving companies' problems based on that knowledge. What's, uh, sorry, go on, Sherry. I was gonna ask you just to expand on that sponsorship marketing workshop and what, what's involved there. Yeah, Vijay? Yeah, I mean, I realized a few years ago that in our curriculum, we don't actually have a sponsorship marketing course, which is something that I, I broached with the head of the department at the time. And he said that, oh, well, it's covered in three or four different classes. And I thought, well, if you don't take any of those classes, then you're not getting it. 
So what will happen then is you'll have students backdooring it into the profession, and that's not going to advance the field. That's going to, if anything, uh, result in in people who maybe don't belong in sponsored marketing getting into it Good somehow. Point. And that's the profession deserves more than that. Good so point. I thought, okay, well, since that's a deficiency and a gap that we have, I need to address that. So I thought, okay, why not have a sponsored marketing workshop, which will really make make students understand what what it is. There are students who do not know the difference between a coordinator of marketing and a coordinator of partnership marketing. And that's, uh, that's uh, a problem because that means students who would be good for partnership marketing or sponsored marketing would not go into it because they don't know what it is. They may go into brand marketing and think that's all that marketing is or that it's, it's in the CPG world. And there's more to marketing than just what exists in the CPG world. You could work in partnership marketing for a bank or for Canadian Tire whatever the case is. So the whole point oh, the of the roles workshop, have proliferated. You're right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the, whole, the whole idea is to make students understand what partnership marketing is and that there are opportunities in that space. And more, most importantly, that it's different from brand marketing. It's not the same. Yeah. Well and said. they need to understand that and know what assets are, what activation is. So, what, so a workshop so, runs what? Is it a day thing? Is it a multi-day session? Like how do you structure those? No, we schedule them during a class window of three hours. So we have yeah. an introduction to partnership marketing. Then we have a session on on uh, assets and uh, right. activation. So it's then within have, the confines uh, of that, but you really focus for a few hours on it. Yes, yeah. that's great. And then we have a session on evaluation. Then we either, either, we either have yeah. a case study or we bring in a panel of industry experts. So it's kind of varied from year to year. Yeah, great. Um, you know, I, I want to segue to the second last part of our chat, which is the trends and insights and something you've said about uh, you know the blend of of uh, the arts and the the entertainment and the fashion and all these things in sport that certainly has been you look at what NBA does with NBA crossover and but the 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 lines between uh, fashion and sports are blurry now you look at 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 sticking with the NBA there's so so much even the NHL there's so much camera attention on the players walking in right uh, through the through the building right and what are they wearing and and uh, and who are they listening to and their their influences so that's certainly a trend i've noticed uh, you know it's no longer sports here arts and culture here there's a lot of, of combination but um you know sherry do you want to jump in on trends that you're noticing or talking about to your students so, in the world of sports marketing sponsored marketing yeah and i mean i think for me it'll circle around that first pillar in the innovation and entrepreneurship side i spend so much time i would say uh not really a trend it's the way the industry is now and we look at a conversation of what's going to bring back sport at the core it's all talking about uh, innovation, technologies, digital solutions. And so I would offer, um, while the cultural influences are without a doubt important, I mean, the fact that we talked, was it the Gucci Air Force Ones at inauguration? Did I get that right? My son has a pair of Air Force Ones, so I know what creasing is. I know what going light, so the shoes, I know what that is, but I think those are the shoes. I wore a pair of Air Jordans my first year of basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so, those shoes, but those shoes won the inauguration. Yeah. Uh, Bernie, I think Bernie did first. And then he's a Bernie, <laughs> with, and then the I, with the mittens, see, fashion, right? <laughs> yeah, but my point is, I think um, for me, what I see um, where we have to be firmly focused is the multidisciplinary nature of sport business. Yep. And I, I say that because even constructing a research team anymore, even as student group, um, you look at entrepreneurs that are really successful in startups and, and when they start and when 
you know, someone gets a series A or series B and then exits, exits. Those teams are multidisciplinary. So we have to work. So for me, I would say we have to refocus. If I go to one other sport business meeting of academic colleagues and they all went to the same school and they all sat in an office of cubicles for four years, you're not getting new innovation and it's pointing fingers and it's being critical, but who is your engineering colleague? Who is your art radio and television colleague? Who is your, so for me, the trends are definitely firmly, the industry is in innovation technology. We have to catch up. And I would say um, just offer, when I started at Ryerson, we did a really thorough deep dive on um, what I would argue, and it's not Steve Simmons list, thank you very much, of the most powerful people in the sport in Canada. Um, and I went to the decision makers, the, the people who make the business work. And without a doubt, the, the industry doesn't believe what we're doing in general is keeping up with the trends. And so to me, that's part of it, what I just shared. Yeah. Very great, good. great answer. Peter, trends? I would add, um, this is going to maybe you can go to a higher level and Cherry's going to go, oh, no, as an academic. But what is sport? And so I, I know that. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I'm not going to, okay, <laughs> time out, time out. Yeah. Well, I say that, I'll say it, I'll say it in this light. I'll say it in this light because, but you know, we've had, we had an offline discussion about, you know, of the four P's of marketing built by, you know, uh, and do they still exist and to what context and what's more important and what's changed. They've all changed and they're still changing. But if you look at, I'll just use one case, you know, there's a, there's a ton of cases out there, but you've looked at it, Red Bull created their own sport. Steel, which makes lumberjack equipment created steel sports now call it a game reality tv content whatever the hell it's it's a if there's a creative gaming yeah. thingy gamification in that, and yeah. it's packaged in the context of like truck night in america which is a truck race so a lot of the, the underpins i believe underpins of sport game leisure you know, I mean, growing up with my dad as a, you know, running fundraisers to help raise money for whatever he could to get football teams jerseys and, you know, and copying logos off professional teams. And, then, you know, I just look at now and maybe it's because I've worked in, Sherry, a lot of multidisciplinary context in my career journey. So I always, you know, I always look to sport as a resource to use. Yeah. But when I was working at Cadbury and I went down to the factory to manufacture our Vince Carter bar, I had videos on all the lines with all the manufacturing personnel putting rice crisps in bars and they were getting excited and motivated to build the product. And that was an event marketing initiative in the confines of manufacturing, but it was just positioned differently. And so I think personally that I agree with Sherry, there is some catch up, I think a lot. However, I think the underpins of sport and the escape of creativity and hobby and that lifestyle mindset has such a role to play in innovating anything in the context of what we consume in video content, toys. I could go on forever. Yeah, I could go on forever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I worked at a chocolate company. We had a factory. We saw it as a factory, but as soon as we watched Willy Wonka, it became an experience. No, I get you. And so it's, so there's so many things that I think if we look through a different lens and that's mm -hmm. worth to me, Cherry, to your point, sport and entertainment, that lens lends, pardon the pun, so much opportunity for innovation beyond 
the space of sport. I would argue a lot of product developers and other businesses need to look to sport on how they can model their businesses as much as we need to look to other businesses on how we can model sport. Yes, good well point. said. VJ, trends that you're noticing? I mean, the big one for me right now is just the evolving consumer and, and consumer preferences. Uh, I mean, Generation Z and then Generation Alpha coming up right after are, are becoming such a going concern for every stakeholder in the in the industry. And I and I kind of point to the interesting research that was done by Angela Ruggiero's uh, company, Sports Innovation Lab, on the fluid fan. And I find that found that to be a fascinating uh, report that just came out in 2019, I believe, on how the go play watch pillars of the industry are all fusing to the point now where uh, because of that the blurriness that exists uh, fans are now not as definitive uh, as they used to be uh, so there used to be uh, the local fan and the global fan and now we have what's called the fluid fan and, right. and that fluid fan is one that traverses so many different types of media uh, different types of product uh, you can generate revenue from them in different ways so all the old models that we had in place are being upended by this fluid fan and seeing how uh, this fluid fan concept goes forward, uh, driven largely by Generation Z and then Generation Alpha is gonna be really, really interesting because from that then comes product development, uh, various types of promotion and, and marketing, uh, and then obviously the, the channel strategies and distribution that come with that. So I think that's really interesting. So definitely I agree with Sherry and, and Peter on the trends that they watch. And I think if you add this one to that, uh, then we have a yeah. pretty good Terrific. picture. Terrific, yeah, and, and not surprised. Those are three of the more interesting answers to that question that I've got. I mean, typically people are gonna say, you know, social media and esports and things like that. The, there's some real depth to what you, you all said, and I think it's incredibly insightful. Um, so let's uh, let's wrap with with professional development advice. I, I, I've always, I always love to ask, people who are in roles that others aspire to, in your case, also also inspiring future leaders, what what do you impart? What, what, what should others be thinking about doing to have a successful career in sport marketing or sponsorship marketing? Sherry? Sure, um, and thank you for the opportunity to do this. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that was a fun chat. Yeah, yeah it was great. Um, you know, I think, I think don't underestimate your network. Don't underestimate um, that this, if you do it well, if you're doing it well, it's a long career, not short. And I say that because uh, someone used an expression at a conference I was at, don't, don't, don't run too fast. Mm, Take your time, get to know people. Um, I think I would argue both on the faculty and student side, be careful with social media. I know yeah. you want to build your brand in the celebrity professor. It's not the era I grew up in, but you know it's so quickly to to get a following and and so or as a professional. But think thoughtfully about the fact that we are in a very small network in Canada, and hmm. everything's interrelated. So um, those pieces, and then I think um, just leave with the last points, which are always important. Think about uh, who you are in sport and that it does have a social um, obligation as well. And so those pieces that Peter and I talked about is always thinking about who you are as not only a business person, but a, a socially conscious business person. Yeah, the humanity. Yeah. Yeah, Peter? I love this discussion today and oh my gosh, I love talking to smart people. Um, I would <laughs> say to add, and we spent a bit of time on mentorship, but if I can expand the 
the, the definition of mentorship maybe in some way is that see every moment as an opportunity for mentorship. I've been mentored on this call. So a lot of folks are almost, I, I guess it's maybe, I like to think of it as the old business regime, but I like to think of the new business regime as folks being open to, you know, not having all the answers or knowing all the, the, the perfect route to go in a career or, you know, in, in class a million times, and I'm sure Sherry and, and um, v, uh, VJ have used this, you know, the squiggly line of what success means. And, and I always say to my students, what is success for you? What does it look like? And so I think that's a very abstract answer, but I think the notion of mentorship being books or authors you even enjoy, I'll put this out there and I don't want to, you know, embarrass Sherry, but I, I'm a relatively new academic and my aspirations in academia have shifted since I first started teaching. And so I wouldn't have said 25 years ago, I wanted to do a doctorate and, you know, do a PhD on play oriented thinking. I mean, that's kind of bizarre, <laughs> but you know, it's just where I am now in my journey and where I've looked at my strengths and my, my losses, my wins using the sport analogy. And so I look at people like Cherry and I, and I watch and follow VJ and what he's done and pioneered with his course. And I've watched you, um, Gavin, as you've built your career. And I just think it's, not thinking there's a one size fit all answer for everyone and seeing every opportunity as one to learn. And that sounds maybe very rudimentary coming from a person that had two teachers as parents, but it's really helped me. And having a learn first mindset and in this field too, really finding ways to, to we all have egos, it's a human trait, but really understanding that that has to be checked and that yeah. has to be really parked and in this field i think because there's so much an entertainment aspect and it's very exciting and dynamic but really grasping the notion that we don't have all the answers and there's always room for growth in all of us i yeah. you know in certain ways so learn first mentality and then the other piece is um i really like the, the point you made earlier on I think Cherry or Gavin or, or I can't remember, but having that board of directors that's sort of your. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we, we talked about yeah, it. You know, but also yeah. if I can use this as quickly is not seeing it like it's always, these are the 10 people and they're going to have all the answers really make that fluid. Um, right. Yeah. And this, my last point on fluid is for yeah. example, two of my favorite, my mentors, I'll say I've never met them, but I've read all their material. So David Aker, who's written some of the, I mean, he writes traditional marketing textbook, like literature. But then someone at IDEO, like Tom Kelly, is more over here. But I get something from both to better mm -hmm. who I am and who I'm trying to become. But awesome. Cherry definitely is an influence to me now as I, I look at my PhD work. For sure. Yeah, great. BJ? Anytime. <laughs> I will help you. I don't have to be your influence, but anytime. No, I, I admire what you've done in your career. And I see now as I go into the space even further um, ways that I can, I can learn and how I watch you and evolve. That's cool. Hey, mission accomplished, right? Okay. Connecting, connecting people. Vijay, uh, uh, close us off with, uh, your professional development advice. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to really err on the side, not err, but, uh, veer to the side of, uh, uh providing tactical advice. So rather than just going through a long diatribe of where I've, what I've done and this is what I did and when I did it, nobody cares about that because everyone's journey is different. So I like to go with more tactical advice. And what I would say is if you're trying to get into the industry, uh, have a, a job search plan that's based on five key elements. And those elements to me are networking. So that'd be through uh, LinkedIn and through in-person networking, uh, 
even cr consider creating your own job. So uh, if you see a gap or a deficiency that exists within the company, maybe propose a position that you could fill yourself. Uh, reading industry news and then sensing what opportunities could exist from that news. So if, say, Hamilton is bidding for the Commonwealth Games, then there's obviously opportunities that could come with that. And then pouncing on those opportunities, reaching out to the right people as early as possible. Uh, volunteering. So that's not volunteering, say, you know, at a local community event. It could mean trying to get onto an advisory board or getting onto a regular board. Uh, and then lastly, job postings. I'm not going to rail against those because that's how I actually got my last uh, <laughs> job. But uh, that should be on the list, but it should not be uh, a priority because it's it's the it's not the most effective uh, way, but it shouldn't be discounted. And then to what Sherry was saying, networking is really important, but to go along with networking, like likability, I think is really yeah, important good. as well too. Because if you network, but you're irritating people or, or people are finding you annoying with your networking, then yeah. they wouldn't want to deal with you. And that's yeah. unfortunate because that shouldn't be the case because I think a lot of people need to understand that some people's journeys have been more difficult than others. And yeah. while some people have easily gone from job to job to job without even maybe having even applied for a job, other people haven't been so lucky. So they really need to be more empathetic and understand yes. that people are, are just trying to do something better for themselves. They're not deliberately trying to, to annoy people or to bother people. And then lastly, I would say is just stay on top of industry development. So like what Peter was saying, you, know, you need to know what's going on in the industry, not only because you're going to be tested on it in a job interview, but also because you need to know what's happening so that you can, uh, you can, how do you say, respond to the opportunities and the challenges that come with that information to better your organization. So I think all those things uh, will help. Well said. Uh, you know, and there are themes. Are to get in or, or already in? Right, and there are three. You know, themes of curiosity and humility and yeah. open-mindedness. I picked up from what you all said. And you know, if you're overly confident uh, and you think you have all the answers, right, Peter? As you said, um, you're you're gonna have blind you're gonna have blind spots. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that's great advice. I mean, just wonderful sage counsel from three you know, really smart, insightful people. Listen, I, I know we could go on and on. Um, I'm going to give you back some of your day. Uh, but thank you so much to the three of you. I enjoyed the chat. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Gavin. Uh, thank thanks you. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Vijay. This is fun. Really fun.